Well, when we, when we think about Jesus' birth, uh, you know, oftentimes we don't think about maybe what is obvious. Uh, you know, Jesus was, we, re- we read in Scripture, made in every way as we are, yet without sin. So he, he is a, a man. When, when the eternal Son of God takes on a human nature, he takes on a human nature uh, like us. Now, we don't know when Jesus was born, but we know that he wasn't just dropped from the sky. He, he didn't just appear out of nowhere. Someone went into labor, if I can say it crassly. Someone went into labor in order to bring him into the world. And he wasn't hidden away in a cave for 30 years, you know, fed by animals, right? He experienced the things that we experienced as children growing up. Could you imagine having been Jesus' schoolmate? Uh, could you imagine being, uh, or if Jesus was that, uh, that cousin that you have? You know, maybe that cousin that you don't like to go see, but you've got to go see every year because that's what you do. Uh, could you imagine if Jesus were your brother? I mean, he had brothers and sisters, you know. We know that from the gospel accounts. But could you imagine Jesus? Maybe you have a brother or sister right now that your parents always compare you to. Imagine being compared to Jesus. <laughs> Why can't you be more like Jesus? What if Jesus was your child? Imagine if Jesus was your child. I don't know that I could have handled that. Um, I have a hard time admitting to my own kids when I make a mistake. Imagine raising the perfect incarnate Son of God. I wonder if, if Mary ever uh, had a scenario where she was scolding Jesus for something and then realized, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> he didn't do that after all, and had to go and apologize to him. To me, that would get very old, wouldn't it? Luke chapter 2, verse 52 tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And someone raised him. Someone was instrumental in helping him to grow in his humanity as an instrument of God. Well, we're going to look at that woman who raised him today, Mary, and consider. Now, I've borrowed this. Now, I didn't take this from Oren Moore. Uh, if those of you from Oren Moore, this is the Mary from the crash out there. I can prove it. I walked out there and I grabbed it, okay? I didn't take it from Oren Moore. We're going to consider Mary today. Now, she didn't look like this. Uh, this is a, a, a rendition but we're going to think about this woman who raised uh, Jesus this morning as we look at this wonderful poem uh, and song that she gives us in the Magnificat. Now, the person of Mary conjures up all kinds of, uh, of thoughts and images for us. You'll notice that I put her back down there. <laughs> 
It conjures, she conjures up all kinds of, uh, of different images in the minds of people depending on who you ask, doesn't she? If you were raised Catholic since, the eight, since 1850, you were taught that she was immaculately conceived and thus was free from original sin. And that because of that, she is the second Eve, that she is a co-participant with God in the birth of Jesus, in bearing the divine son. You were taught that her bodily integrity, her virginity was maintained throughout the birthing process, that she remained uh, a virgin all throughout her life, that she never sinned, and that sometimes she makes appearances, right? If you were raised Catholic, that's what you were taught about Mary. Now, if you were raised non-Catholic, you probably weren't taught anything about her. Scott McKnight said uh, regarding Mary and, and non-Catholics' view of Mary, she's become little more than a delicate piece in a Christmas creche whom we bring out without comment at Christmas and then wrap up gently until we see her again next Advent. Because Mary can be controversial, can't she? But what I want to suggest today is that we neglect Mary to our own detriment. After all, she didn't say, all generations will call me blessed except for non-Catholics, did she? And I think she has something to offer as we seek to be followers of Jesus. So I want us to think about how the Gospels, how the New Testament portrays Mary, uh, this mother of, of Jesus, uh, one whom Scott McKnight calls blessed, the, the, the blessed, courageous Mary. We want us to think about that today. She, was, she wears ordinary clothes. She is full of hope. She's a revolutionary. She acknowledges her need for a savior from God. She challenges a king, and she has the audacity and the courage to parent the divine son of God. I think this is the picture of Mary that we see in Scripture. And so just as we think about this lady today, I want, us to, I want to highlight three things that I think we see uh, in Scripture. The first is that Mary is a humble, willing, and faithful servant of God. Look in Luke chapter 1. And incidentally, I'll just, I'll, I'll, we'll look at a few texts. So if you have your Bible, uh, follow along with me. Look in Luke chapter 1, and let's just look at in verse 26. As Gabriel appears to, to Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary is a humble, willing, and faithful servant of God. And she is faithful despite uncertainty. Now, just think for a moment what this announcement would mean for Mary, what this mission, this task would mean for Mary. Now, today, if this happened today, we might rally around her in support, uh, right? As a a single parent, uh, as a, a teenage mother, we might rally around her in support. But then, in this particular time and place, This would typically mean ostracism. In this honor-shame culture, this would probably mean for her insult. It would mean discomfort. It would mean the interruption of any plans that she might have. It might mean the possible loss of a future husband, potentially even death. And yet... She is faithful. It conjures up images for me of Jesus when he is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asks the Father to to retake this cup from him. But then he says, not my will, but yours be done. And, And this difficulty, this struggle, this uncertainty, it wouldn't end when Jesus was born. Now, this was an invitation to a lifetime of, in one sense, uncertainty and difficulty, and challenge. Do you think Mary fully understood everything that was going on here? No, she didn't. She uh, had to figure out things as she went. There was a continual element called for her to be faithful. She had to watch things play out in faith, just like everyone else. So if you think about... In chapter 2, verse 19, when the shepherds come to the birth uh, of Jesus, we read that Mary treasured these things in her heart, pondering them. That there's something that she has to figure out and, and, and work out, even as the rest of us are working out who this boy is. 
When Simeon prophesies over the baby Jesus in chapter 2, verse 33, his mother and his father and mother marveled at what was being said about him. Who is this? She, she didn't get it fully. In Mark chapter 3, the whole family of Jesus thinks that he's crazy. They don't understand fully who he is. And not only that, she had to let Jesus go, didn't she? There came a point where she had to recognize that, yes, Jesus, though he is my son, he's called to something bigger. And she had to surrender herself to God's plan for Jesus. We saw a little, we see little hints of this to come in Luke chapter 2 in the temple when Jesus says, didn't, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Uh, we see it in John chapter 2 at that first miracle where Jesus creates some distance between him and, her, and his, his mother. Uh, and we see it climax at the cross where she has to surrender herself to God's purposes for her son in watching him die on a cross. But in all the pain, in all the uncertainty, Mary demonstrates a kind of faithfulness that befits a servant of God. See, servants don't get bogged down in details. They just follow. They just do as they're, uh, as they're told. And we see this in Mary's uh, response to Gabriel in verses 37 and 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be. Now, the Catholic Church teaches there the, the free cooperation of Mary, that she couldn't have refused. Uh, and incidentally, this is why Mary has to be without sin, uh, because she couldn't refuse this, uh, this, this task that God had given her. And so in the Catholic understanding of that phrase, let it be, uh, it is a command where Mary says, Gabriel, press the green button. Let's go. Let's do this. But that's not the way it shows up in the Greek text. It's a statement of faithful submission. Where Mary says, you know what? Yes, this is going to cost me. This is not going to be easy. But God, your will be done. Let it be. Let it be. And as we think about ourselves, are we faithful in the midst of uncertainty and difficulty? Is, is, what was our response when God calls us to do something difficult? Is it, let it be? Or is it, well, God, I've got a thousand reasons why I can't do that. See, I think we could learn a lot from Mary 
about being faithful servants of God amidst uncertainty and in spite of difficulty. Because this is what we see in her. Mary is a radical. Uh, She is a revolutionary uh, who believed that God was absolutely in charge. When we we look in the Magnificat, this song that she sings, this is what jumps out at me. That she is an excited, evangelistic revolutionary. Uh, Look in verses 46 to 49. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. What kind of person do you see in those verses? This is a person that's full of excitement. And why? It's because in her point of view, from her point of view, a new day is dawning. A new day is dawning in which God is going to turn the tables on the rich and powerful. He is about to establish justice by bringing his kingdom through his king, who is her son. And so she rejoices that this is taking place. She's an evangelist. Uh, She's not silent about this. You know, how does Luke know about these particular details? Probably because Mary told him. This is not something that Mary writes in her private prayer journal. This is a song that she probably, possibly sang even publicly that she shared with those around her. The first thing she does when when Gabriel leaves is to go and tell Elizabeth what has happened to her. See, she believes that this is good news, not just for her. This is good news for everyone. And she is full of hope. As Elizabeth responds in verse 45, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment See, Mary has hope that this is what God is doing, that God is is being faithful to all that he's promised through her son, this one that she would give birth to. But look more closely in verses 50 to 55. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Those are the words of a revolutionary. It's here that Mary nails her 95 theses to the door. She challenges the rich and the powerful by stating that her son is going to bring justice where there is injustice. 
And who is she challenging here? Herod. Herod was not a nice man. And these words are pointed right down his nose. She knew that her son, not Herod, not Augustus, that her son was the real king. And she wasn't afraid to say it. In a day when it wasn't healthy to challenge the rich and the powerful, Mary showed incredible courage. It's not safe to challenge a king. Remember what Herod's going to do when he hears about Jesus' birth. He's going to have all the little boys two years and under murdered because he doesn't want to be challenged. And yet this is exactly what Mary does. Now look, I don't know your circumstances, but I don't suppose our circumstances are anywhere near as challenging as Mary's. And what is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to be courageous or to be brave? I think we can draw strength from Mary's example of courage. I think we could learn a lot about believing God enough to tell about him regardless of what it might cost us. Look, Luke 1 is is not about Mary so much as it is about the power of God to do the impossible. This is what the angel Gabriel says in verse 37. Is anything impossible for the Lord? That was the object of her belief and the source of her courage. Mary knew that nothing was impossible with God. And she wasn't afraid to say it. And finally, what we see about Mary in the gospel accounts is that Mary was a fallen yet redeemed worshiper. Now, this is where Catholics and non-Catholics get hung up, okay? Catholics don't think she needed to be redeemed. And non-Catholics don't like to talk about her as a worshiper because they're afraid people might think they're Catholic. But listen, you're going to see Mary in heaven one day. Not in an elevated position next to God as the the, the queen of, of heaven. But right there in the midst of all the other worshipers. See, Mary knew that she needed a Savior. Even early on. She confesses that God was her Savior and that Jesus would be born to save everyone from their sin. In verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Or later on, why was she counted blessed? It wasn't because she was perfect, but it was rather because God had chosen her for such a unique and significant Purpose. This is what verse 48 points to. He's looked on the humble estate, the undeserved estate of his servant and has elevated her. See, God has elevated her so that all generations would look at her and say, Wow, didn't God bless her? What a privilege 
that was. And it's the same back in verse 28. When you look back in verse 28 of chapter 1, and Gabriel comes to her and says, Greetings, O favored one, O blessed one, as it's written. The sense of the verb is passive. It's not active. She's not full of grace as if grace is a substance that can overflow. It's rather that she is graced by God. She is blessed by God by God. This is what Gabriel says in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And that idea in Scripture, is, it always points to God's grace in choosing someone for a task. So you think back to Noah. Uh, you think about Gideon or Hannah uh, or David. She is the unworthy recipient of God's grace in being chosen for this wonderful task. She's not a bestower of grace. The honor and the focus go to God and His enabling grace, not to her. As Nancy Duff says in in her book, it's Mary's unworthiness that is the whole point If Mary was a co-participant with God, then all of the incarnation would be less powerful. The point of the incarnation is that Jesus comes as one of us to the lowly. And that point is made as God bestows grace on a humble teenage girl named Mary. It's the whole point. Mary was there with the other women at the cross when Jesus died. She showed the devotion of a mother and a follower. And she's not there as some kind of prominent figure, but as a fellow worshiper. But this is, I think, maybe the most telling text of all. If you want to turn over to Acts chapter 1. can Acts chapter 1 briefly. After the ascension, we see all the believers joined together in verse 14. And as I read this, notice who is here. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Notice Mary is there. And notice where she is. She's not in a prominent position. No, she is right there in the midst of all the other followers of her son, Jesus, as a worshiper. See, Mary knew what it meant to humbly worship her Savior as a fellow sinner who needed to be saved. She's a disciple. God doesn't choose her because she's better than everyone else. She is a recipient of the forgiveness secured by her son and the transformation that comes from his spirit through faith. And we could learn a lot about wholehearted devotion, about worship from her example. So what can... What can we non-Catholics learn from Mary? Well, we can learn what it means to have hope 
that things will change because Jesus has come. We can learn what it means to have courage to stand for what is right, even though it might be dangerous or difficult. We can learn what it means to worship in faith that baby who grew to be a man and died on a cross. Mary was blessed, singled out by God for something very special. And she submitted to the will of her heavenly father, even though it cost her. Even though it cost her. Just one more obscure text that we find in Luke chapter 11. Verses 27 and 28, Jesus is speaking publicly. And Luke tells us, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. An interesting little couple of verses there in Luke chapter 11. What is telling in Jesus' response to this woman? Yes, the the one who bore him was blessed, right? This woman speaking in Luke 11 is thankful that Jesus was born. But there's more. It's not the most important thing. The most important thing is devotion to God through Jesus. See, the most important thing isn't responding to Jesus' mother. The most important thing is responding to Jesus. Let me just say it bluntly. You won't go to hell for ignoring Mary. You will for ignoring Jesus. Jesus is the most important one. So the question of the ages is not, what will you do with Mary? The question of the ages is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with the Son? Will you believe that He is who He says He is? The Savior of the world. That is the question. So look, we don't worship Mary. We don't pray to her. We don't need to. Because we believe that we have direct access to our loving, merciful, heavenly Father Through Jesus. But we shouldn't ignore her either. Because what we see in her is an example of what God is after in us. He's after our wholehearted devotion. And that's what we see in Mary. She is wholeheartedly devoted as a humble servant whom God uses for his purposes and for our eternal benefit. So, that's Mary. Maybe we'll think a little differently about her 
every year when we bring her out in the crash and then put her away uh, in January. Let's pray together. Father, as we are reminding ourselves uh, over these days about the birth of Jesus, we thank you, Father, that you did not leave us to die in our sin. But, Father, you made a way that we might be redeemed. And that is, as the eternal Son took on human flesh, was born as a baby in order to die as a man for us. And Father, as we think about the baby in the manger, let us not be far from thinking about the man on the cross. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today that has never placed their trust and the death that that baby would die. Father, that your spirit might open their hearts to see. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.